0: Revelation 8, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe. Woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So as we continue our look at the book of Revelation, I remind you that we're looking at an unveiling, an unveiling of the glorified Christ as the victorious king moving toward the very end of history. And last week, Rich reminded us that even as we get into this middle section, we might call it, of Revelation chapters 4 onward that has to do with a lot of judgment, a lot of kind of strange views and visions, strange things to be heard and smelled and tasted, that it's not a riddle. It's not written as a riddle. It's apocalyptic, but it's not a riddle. Two weeks ago, Travis reminded us that we don't need a secret decoder ring to figure out the book of Revelation. The Holy Spirit is quite able to give us understanding of what he wants us to know. But I think it's helpful as we look at these series of judgments that go on... ...that we, we have an idea of the structure. And it's pretty simple. And, and this morning at the outdoor service, I asked the children to show us that structure. They stood up and I just simply asked them... And if, ...and if you feel like you're a child at heart today, you can participate. But just to hold up three fingers. Three fingers. There's three series or three groups... So you can hold up three fingers. That's a number that's important, three fingers. And then next, hold up seven fingers. As I told the kids this morning in the outside service, you'll probably need two hands to do that. (laughs) Seven fingers. If you don't need two hands to do that, I want to see you (laughs) and see what it looks like. Uh, Seven is a really important number in the book of Revelation. There are a lot of sevens. There's seven of a lot of things. And so three And seven, two important numbers as we look at these judgments, because there are three groups or three series of seven judgments each. So we have the the seven seals that Rich talked about last week. We have the seven trumpets that we are introduced to in Revelation chapter 8. We have the seven bowls that are yet to come, and we'll see those next week. Three groups of seven. And these are judgments, and the judgments as we go through the book get more intense. And more of the earth, more people are affected by them. The proportion of the, the impact is greater as you move on through the book. And at the end of each of these three groups or three series, there's a sense in which you're right on the precipice of Jesus coming back. Right on the edge. That he must be ready to return. And at the end of the seven seals, not quite. End of the seven trumpets, not quite. We'll see what happens with the bowls next week. What I want to emphasize, though, this morning is that in Revelation chapter eight, there's also another three that we're going to look at, and that is the three mysteries that show up here. First, there's the mystery of God's patience. Secondly, there's the mystery of man's impenitence, and we'll unpack that word a little bit in a minute. And then thirdly, there's the mystery of the role of prayer in God's kingdom. Let's start with the mystery of God's patience. So as the seven angels begin to blow the seven trumpets, we do see some pretty amazing judgments. And remember in the Bible, trumpets are often associated with, in the New Testament, particularly with the return of Christ. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 14, verse 31, 24, excuse me, verse 31, said that he would send out his angels with a loud trumpet when it was time to gather his people to himself. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 52 said the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. So the sounding of a trumpet in the New Testament particularly often is heralding the return of Christ. But the trumpet sound in the book of Revelation, those seven trumpets sounding are not heralding Christ's return. They're announcing, alerting us to more judgments yet to come. And these judgments as we look at them, they look a lot like judgments we've seen before. They look a lot like the plagues that God brought upon Egypt when he was trying to turn Pharaoh's heart to let God's people go. What I mean by that is look at the first trumpet. The first trumpet is sounded and there is, there is hail. There is fire mixed with blood. And that reminds us of Exodus chapter 7, when a plague of water turned to blood. In Exodus chapter 10, when there's a plague of hail. Exodus chapter 9, excuse me. Notice the fourth trumpet. As it blasts, there is a plague of what we could call darkness. Just like the plague of darkness in Exodus chapter 10. The world left in darkness. The sixth trumpet sounds. And there are other things happening. Before that, the fifth trumpet. The fifth trumpet's blown and there is horrifying smoke, but then a plague of locusts. And of course we were reminded of the plague of locusts in Egypt that ate all the crops up except the crops of God's people that were protected. So these plagues that are announced as the trumpets are blown resemble the plagues that God brought upon Egypt and upon Pharaoh. As more is yet to come and the sixth trumpet is blown, there are all kinds of visual effects as you read these chapters. There are more angels, first there are four angels, there are untold numbers of troops sent to kill a third of mankind, there are two witnesses, there's a woman, there's a dragon, there is Satan falling to the earth, there are two ugly, powerful beasts, there's a little scroll, and the apostle John is told to eat it, and he does, and it makes his stomach bitter. And yet in the midst of all this, there are are pauses there are times when God stops the action to give John a break, maybe, to let him catch his breath, but also to let God's people catch their breath, to be reminded that God is in control, that they are a protected people. The whole point is that history is moving from one crisis to another. But even as that happens, our sovereign God is on his throne, He rules the universe. He is bringing history to its climax in his own perfect time. Which means we have to notice that he is patient. It's the mystery of the patience of God. God grants times of rest, times of calm, even in the midst of unprecedented judgment and turmoil. In his infinite purpose and in his patience, he holds back the time of ultimate judgment. He doesn't bring the final hammer down quickly it's an amazing thing to think about that he gives warnings and he announces judgments and yet he stops to give mankind a chance to repent or he pauses as he does as he does to remind god's people of their security the apostle peter knew about that he saw it in second peter 3:9-10 he said the Lord is slow, not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. It can seem like God is taking too much time that he's too slow that he needs to pick up the pace. Peter said he's not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. Judgments warnings of them they're restrained to give mankind a chance to repent, to give the wicked even a chance to be warned and to avoid the judgment that is to come. But the answer to the final question, when will it come, is simply that it will come. There will be a final reckoning. There will be judgments. All these judgments that precede the final judgment, the judgment will come. But I imagine that there must be times when all of heaven is perplexed at why God is taking so long. Why doesn't He go ahead and get it over with? Why doesn't He judge all that evil that's in the earth? I know I would. I wouldn't take so much time. I know you wouldn't either. I've seen you drive. I know how you act when someone cuts you off in traffic. <laughs> I know how you were looking for that button on your dashboard that says missile launcher. (laughs) Because that's how we are. We want immediate retribution. We want justice now. God is patient toward us. He lets us have time. And yet, that mystery of God's patience, in spite of it, the second mystery is that mankind is impenitent. Which means that we are obstinate That simply means that we refuse to repent. That we are like a two-year-old throwing a tantrum. (laughs) I am not going to do it. That's how we are. We see that in chapter 9 of Revelation, verse 20. When John writes, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works, the works of their hands, nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. You know, John and his readers lived in a world where God's name was not often hallowed, where his will was not always done, where it didn't seem like his kingdom was coming, but seemed like the kingdom of the Roman Empire always ruled the day. But perhaps we live in a world that's not that different from John's world. Because it seems the same today. Just imagine, the latest Gallup poll of Americans asked Americans at large if they believe in God. 80% of Americans polled said, yeah, I believe in God. 80%. The challenge is that the majority of those who said they believe in God act as though he doesn't really exist. Or another way to put that is, most Americans say they believe in God, they just believe he doesn't really matter. He doesn't really make a difference in our world. There's a mystery in Revelation that in spite of God's incredible patience, mankind is stubborn, to repent no I don't want to and although revelation here is speaking in broad terms and revelation 9 20 is speaking of the man, mankind that was not already killed by the plagues there's a personal note in this as well because God deals with us patiently and God also brings pressure in our lives to turn us to Christ he brings pressure on us to bring us back to himself when we wander away and the fact is that Jesus, the Glorious One, will judge all things one day. He will judge all wickedness. He will come back to set things right again. So when you've understood that reality, that God is patient, and yet there is a stubborn heart in each one of us, there is an old sinful nature that we battle, it'll leave you with one of two responses as you read Revelation 8 and the rest of these judgments. Either you'll have joy because you understand that you are spared from judgment if you are in Christ, that though your sins are many, his mercy truly is more. And so you can take joy in watching even God, our wonderful, beautiful God, bring judgment upon evil and wickedness. But if you don't follow Christ, if you're not in him, to use the words of the New Testament, your response to reading such things is probably not joy. It's probably fear. It should be fear. Unless you're a fool. Because God will bring judgment on you if you're not in him. So there's a mystery here in this chapter 8 of Revelation of God's wonderful patience. There is also the mystery of man's impenitence. His stubbornness. His obstinance when it comes to repenting. But the third mystery is this other mystery. It's called the mystery of prayer. So last week when Rich was looking at the seven seals and that seventh seal was opened. And in the midst of all those seals being opened, you can see judgment coming upon the the evil that's in the world. And then again in chapter 7, before that seventh seal is opened, there was that pause. There was that break in the action where John received word to pass on to his readers that there was full assurance of salvation if, if people are walking by faith that there is absolute security of God's people, that they are indeed a great army that's a multitude from every nation, tribe, and people, and language. And they are sealed by God with a, with a seal that will protect them from any ultimate harm. What an amazing chapter that is. And then, again, chapter 8, as we launched into today. The, the Lamb opens the seventh seal, and out of that seventh seal are going to come Seven trumpets sounded by seven angels, but before that, notice in verse one, there's this anticlimax. It simply says, There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. What is that about? I mean, when you read the rest of the scripture, when you get visions or, or pictures of of the heavenly realm, it's not often silent there. It's pretty much ongoing praise and worship. It's angels singing to God's praise. It's 24 elders around the throne. It's the four living creatures. It's these, this unbelievable sense of God being worshipped nonstop. And I don't think it's very quiet in the midst of that. And yet when the seventh seal is open and the trumpets are about to be blasted, there is silence in heaven for about half an hour. In the midst of cycles of disaster and judgment on earth, God wants to hear the prayers of his people. It's as if God is saying, Shh, listen, my people are calling out to me. I want to hear their prayers. Now, I'm not suggesting that God is hard of hearing that all that worship going on around him keeps him from hearing God's prayer, our people's prayers. He's not hard of hearing. I think he's making a point to John as, as this happens in the vision that John receives, that God takes seriously the prayers of his people and he hears them all because he listens to them all. So there's a pause in heaven. And then another angel comes And stands at the altar with a golden censer filled with incense coming out, the smoke of which, the fragrance of which would be just amazing. And John sees this vision. But then he combines with that incense the prayers of the saints, the prayers of God's people, put in this golden incense and brought to the altar of God. Laying them down for God to hear. But that's not all. Look what happens next. The prayers of the people with the incense are combined with fire from God. And they're thrown to the earth. And John is telling the church here that prayer is central to what God is doing in the world all the time. Prayer is a part of God's activity. He hears our prayers. He uses our prayers with his own fire. All that he does to make things happen. The results, as John records it, he says there are peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. All of those just images representing God's judgment now and the world and all the wickedness therein. God using our prayers, combining it with the fire of God, bringing judgment upon the earth. The unmistakable point is amazing. God uses our prayers. Excuse me. But I like the way that the Scottish theologian T.F. Torrance put it a generation or so ago when he was writing in his commentary on Revelation. He said this about this scene, this silence in heaven for half an hour, this prayers of the people combined with the fire of God enthroned on the earth. He said, quote, What are the real master powers behind the world? And what are the deeper secrets of our destiny? Here is the astonishing answer. The prayers of the saints and the fire of God. That means that more potent, more powerful than all the dark and mighty powers let loose in the world. More powerful than anything else is the power of prayer set ablaze by the fire of God and cast upon the earth. What an amazing way to put it. Just imagine that. God doing that with our prayers. Now, I'm not suggesting that the next time you get cut off in traffic, you start praying for lightning bolts and earthquakes to be right in front of you, the person who cut you off. That's not what I think it's saying. (laughs) No, I think it's an invitation, though, to pray. To pray God's power and work. And how do we do that? Well, Jesus gave us a prayer to do that. It starts this way. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Isn't that amazing? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. You will be done on earth, even as it is done in heaven. You know, when we pray that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, we're actually praying the book of Revelation. We're joining in what God is doing. He's using our prayer, combining it with the fire of his majesty. And his power and his judgment. And all that causing history to be reaching its final conclusion. It's an amazing mystery. The mystery of prayer and the role of prayer in the building and the the ongoing kingdom and redemptive work of God. So when we're facing the challenge of a sin nature, which we all face. When we're battling ourselves. When we're struggling with the evil that is around us. When we are experiencing suffering, when we are sick and tired of this pandemic and wish it was over, (laughs) don't you? (laughs) Yes, when we are that way. And we feel weak and we feel overcome and feel like nothing we do makes a difference. And maybe we just think, all I got is some feeble prayer that God probably won't listen to anyway. Well, let me encourage you to take heart because God is listening. And he is using your prayers. Your prayers will change the world. Imagine that. So as we prepare to sing our song of response, as the band comes back up, as those who might need prayer in the room, we have prayer warriors and prayer team that would be up front even during our song and then after the service. I'll invite them to come up. They'll be here to pray with you if you could use prayer. But let me remind you, the three mysteries of Revelation 8, the mystery of God's patience, patience toward us, the mystery of our stubbornness, our impenitence, mankind not wanting to repent, and yet the wonderful mystery of the role of our prayers in the work of God's kingdom, bringing history to its rightful end as the glorified Christ sets up his return to come and make all things new. Amen.